Welcome to Crash Chords Autographs. Today, Matt welcomes Jeff Baker, a pop singer-songwriter hailing from Brooklyn, New York. Jeff's latest single, the I Am single, was recently released with an accompanying lyric video. In addition to YouTube, you can also sample Jeff's music at soundcloud.com slash jeffbakersounds. With Matt, Jeff chats about his origins in pop punk and his decision to go solo. He also chats about the time he spent overseas in Thailand and how the music scene differed in that part of the world. And finally, he discusses his plan to release consecutive singles as opposed to a full LP. And so, with the matted bonding over mutual favorite bands, here's presenting Matt Storm and Jeff Baker. And welcome to another episode of Crash Chords Autographs. I, of course, am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon, and my guest this week is the one and only Jeff Baker. Jeff, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you on after I listen to your music. I love the singles that you have up on SoundCloud. Um, the first thing I wanted to ask before we got into your career and stuff is actually how you found me, because I have a, I've had artists reach out to me before, but I'm curious how you heard about the show or heard about me doing interviews. Uh, Google. Oh, really? Google was the key. Yeah, I have spent, like, countless hours Google searching everything you can imagine, like uh, Brooklyn, independent, radio, <laughs> podcast, venue, venue uh, everything like that. And I found you through there. I think it linked up to your website, like, oh, directly awesome. to it. And cool. I was like, oh, cool, it's right here in Brooklyn. Nice. Yeah. It's good to know that uh, this, where you know, the SEO is working out. You are on there, definitely. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for joining me. Um, you know, I'm I'm really a big fan of the stuff that you're doing. Which, for those who haven't heard it yet, although we'll link to it when this goes up, um, it's pretty much pop music, really cool singing, great kind of electronic stuff and and instrumentation. You know, were, have you always had an interest in singing pop music? Have you always wanted to write pop music, or did it just kind of where you fell in where you were recording and how you were recording? Uh. I actually grew up listening to pop punk pretty, oh, mu- cool. pretty much exclusively mm-hmm. for a long time. Um, I was in a band in high school, mm-hmm. classic three chord pop punk. We were doing like Green Day, Jimmy World, you know. Um, we were called Stakes for Speakers. Nonsense, <laughs> nonsense name. And we had a lot of fun, and, and that's kind of when I got addicted to playing music. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in college, I was in a band with my roommate Justin, which was another pop punk one. And then past two years I lived in Thailand oh, wow. um, in Bangkok and I met two guys there who were musicians so we started another pop punk band there Oh wow! Um, called Fathers of Medicine so it's been at least seven, eight years of in and out of pop punk bands and then uh, got to a point where I just realized I was connecting further with music that had more dynamics instead mm-hmm. of blaring distorted guitars the whole time sure um so i met a guy over in thailand who used to be a manager in england for a long time he's retired now um he does a little bit but he lives over there with his wife um and he kind of made the suggestions like well why don't you play with the same style the same integrity but drop the electric and switch it to acoustic so Mm i actually bought an acoustic then and started to figure out what these songs were going to sound like with that but i didn't want it to be like singer-songwriter folk kind of stuff. Right. um, Because I didn't want to lose the energy. So I kind of got inspired by bands like 21 Pilots who are using a lot of stuff in the computer to complement the 
the song, right? Yeah, um, I'm actually a huge fan of 21 Pilots. We, yeah, I so discovered good. them. Um, my co-host John on the other show, he brought on their last album, Blurry Face. And I had not heard them before. I had not heard really of them. And so, and I got hooked on that record. And so now I've gone back through their discography and stuff. And I think they're doing some really cool, interesting hip-hop pop stuff yeah. that's not really around. You know, there's not a lot of it in that way. A lot of people who are doing more poppy hip-hop, it's kind of like over-popified and kind yes. of substanceless. And they seem to, are, it seems like their stuff is kind of coming from a particular place that yeah. feels real. If that makes any sense. Yeah, well, they're from Ohio, so it's got to be real. Right. I can can say that from being from uh, Illinois, but... (laughs) um, And they're on Feel by Ramen, too. Yeah. Right? So that gives them a lot of creative space rather than being signed with one of the majors. Sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, So you said you were in Thailand for a while. What brought you there? Uh, I had the chance to study abroad when I was in college, and that was up in Chiang Mai, Thailand. And then once I graduated... um, in 2013, I decided like I just wasn't ready to jump right into the workforce like mm-hmm. <laughs> right away. So I went to Thailand to kind of figure out more of what I wanted to do, and I knew I wasn't like done with that uh, experience overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got a job teaching preschool and kindergarten when I was there. Oh, wow. Interesting. Um, that job found me more than I found it. <laughs> it was kind of the <laughs> opportunity, which actually is what I do now in New York, believe it or not. Oh, cool. Um, in addition to music. So... Uh, yeah, I just spent about two and a half years there. Just got back last November. It's been about a year I've been back now. So um, kind of felt burnt out on Chicago scene since yeah. I lived there and went to school there. So I figured, why not give New York City a shot? And so what was the impetus to come back to the States? You just knew it was time? or Yeah, you get to a point. It's like everything, there's so many opportunities when you're a foreigner there. Um, and it's really fun at first to have all these opportunities and everything come to you really quickly. But after a while, it kind of becomes predictable, and you can kind of see my my whole life in front of me, basically, sure. one day, and I, I didn't want to know where I'm going to be in a year or two years. I, I like the, the fun of not knowing. Sure. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, um, and what was the music scene like over there? Do they get a lot of the stuff from here? Is it, is it, does there a kind of scene like, you know, New York used to be very punk and grunge focused? Like, what was the scene in Thailand like? Uh, as far as American stuff, they get a lot of the top 40 pop, kind of what you'd sure. expect just because of like Spotify and YouTube. Mm-hmm. Everyone's playing that at the bar, or the club and stuff. Um, there's a great expat scene, though, with bands. So that's oh, yeah. where I met the other... Like, my drummer was from Finland. He was living there at the time. Oh, wow. Uh, bass player was from uh, Philippines. And then I was from America, obviously. And, and I played an open mic at this bar in Bangkok owned by uh, my buddy Matt. Who, it's called Fatties. Mm-hmm. And he's from Wisconsin. It's like this American expat bar. Oh, wow. Burgers, fries, live music. So I kind of found this expat community. So the expat community is really tight, mm-hmm. but there's not much integration um, with the foreigner bands into the Thai scene. They don't really yeah. mix that much. I kind of wish they did, but it seems like it's changing every month. So maybe by now there's a lot more. Cool. And um, so going back into a bit of your music history, um, you know, you said you were in a lot of punk pop punk bands and yeah. I have a, a, a deep love for pop punk, even though it's kind of changed over the years, but like some 41 blank 182 yeah. patent pending, like all of these bands that have, are newer or within, you know, have been around for a while. Like I've, I've always listened to the, all of these bands. Um, what kind of bands influenced you the most coming up before you started playing music? Would you say it was those kind of bands? Yeah, the first CD I ever bought was Blink One Eight Two, all the small things single, mm-hmm. which I like because it's on the radio and it's like one you know one of their poppiest tunes. Sure. But the B side on that um, was M and M's. 
oh, which nice. I really got addicted to. And I thought that um, that song was actually from a different band uh-huh. because it had a different singer. Sure. And I was so young, I didn't realize that a uh, band could have two different singers. <laughs> and I was, so I was trying to look up, like, who's Eminem's by? And they're like, no, it's the same guys. So I was like, that's awesome. They both sing. Um, yeah, so Blink-182 was definitely my, my time growing up, early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. Did you uh, check out their newest record that just came out? Yeah, California. And what did you think of it? La- I loved it. Yeah, really? I love Matt Skiba. Um, he's, um, he's actually very good. I enjoyed yeah. his voice and what he brought to the band quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, well, I grew up in Chicago, so Trio is like a rite of passage <laughs> yeah. there, so yeah. I couldn't be happier that he was taking over. Um, it was it was a good album. I don't know why they couldn't have made it something else though. Like I don't yeah. know why they had to be Blink One Eighty Two. And see, that was yeah. our biggest complaint when we reviewed it on the other show. Um, was like you know they were definitively Blink One Eighty Two for so long, and then um, both the self titled and Neighborhoods came out, and both those albums were just different. Like they had a little bit of a different sound. They yeah. were kind of you know heavier in places and, and poppier in places, and they were just trying different things. And so I was hoping that would be the continued progression, especially since they were bringing on a new singer, a new um, guitarist, too, and it wasn't. You know, a lot of it felt like they were fitting him into the Blink-182 formula, which was fine, and they did mm-hmm. a great job with, but I feel like it left me wanting. Like, I didn't want another Blink album. I wanted... Blink. I wanted Blink to evolve into whatever was next. Yeah, for like a new sound. Yeah, there was a lot of throwback on there that sounded kind of strange. I don't, Mark Hopp is what, like mid forties now? I think so. Forty four, yeah. forty five, and he's doing the joke tracks, which just kind of come off as a little strange. Now. Yeah, but we thought the same thing. Like it <laughs> yeah. breaks up the album, which I get, but you know, it, you'd think like that. Like that stuff resonates really well live, and I still love their live album that they did way back when because those jokes kind of resonated yeah. at that time for me. <laughs> yeah, but like one. it's now, it's, you know, I, I'm ready for them to kind of grow, you know. That was my problem with the last Green Day albums, Uno, Dos, and Trey, where they were like, they, they it seemed like they were hinting that they were going to grow and do something different, and then they didn't. Like yeah. after American Idiot and, and, and 21st Century Breakdown, which were both really interesting, unique albums, to just rehash your old stuff, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, they had about an album's worth of material, and they stretched it into three. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see that with like some just baffling tracks. Like uh, on that second album, they have one where the, the girl raps on it. Yeah. It's like, it just it, seems so... It, it <laughs> so like, odd. Yeah, like yeah. I like hip-hop as much as the next guy, but yeah. to just... I hate when pop music feels this need to insert rap because it's finger quotes cool. Right. It's like if right. someone's going to rap on your track, be legit and make it feel more like a rap song or do something interesting with that rap, not just insert it in your song that has nothing to do with rap. Yeah. And that's, that's something I've always found bizarre. So you really have listened to a lot of pop punk. Are there... Oh, yeah. Have you um, branched out to other genres since you started making music again here in the States? Yeah, I have. I've been just kind of checking in a lot with Top 40. I don't. I can't really say that I've enjoyed a lot of what I've mm-hmm. listened to. You wouldn't be alone. Yeah, but I see it as a very good blueprint of, of songwriting, mm-hmm. in a way. Um, Sia is one I've really gotten into. I think she's fantastic. Yeah, she's pretty brilliant, actually. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, 21 Pilots. Sure. I, I, would, I would put them in the top top 40 sure. category now. Yeah, for sure. After Heathens and, and um, Stressed Out. Right, like, Heathens. That's the one that's on the radio all the time All now. the time now, yeah. Um, even like uh, Justin Bieber with tracks like uh, Love Yourself, um, Ed Sheeran, sure. Sam Smith, things like this. Like At least their performance value I think is great and their songwriting. Um, 
I remember actually when I came back and I was trying to write a bit poppier, I listened through uh, that 1989 album, Taylor Swift. Oh, sure, yeah. And uh, I can't say I enjoyed all of it, but it was kind of amazing to see an album that was just back-to-back hooks. Oh, yeah. Song to song. Every song was catchy. Like, it's why I think I like it so much Mm -hmm. is... Because, like, I'm not a huge Taylor Swift fan. I couldn't name any of her other albums. But something about that album, it was just every hook grabbed you. And, you know, that's really smart songwriting, whether it's she's writing it or someone else is writing it for her. I mean, she plays her own instruments, which is a step above a lot anyway. And it's just, you know, I think that's why I also like Lady Gaga is because she's got this performance value, obviously. But she can also really sing and puts out these tracks that sometimes I just don't understand like how it's the same person as the person who wrote Just Dance. You know, right. but it's these creating and kind of manipulating these hooks and I think that's an important part of pop music is you want to get people sucked in and a good hook really does that. Yeah, right, right. And I think where a lot of people fail is the lyrics after that. Yeah. Because they'll put in kind of the same thing you've been hearing since, I don't know, the 50s, you know. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Um, that's where I thought 21 Pilots really hit a home run is they, they take that time to you know figure out how many syllables are in the line just to stay with the hook yeah but they're able to insert all this emotion all this mm-hmm. pain and whatever and it's all stuff that people can relate to sure yeah yeah um let's talk a little bit about your songwriting process so you play guitar i'm guessing you had mentioned before yeah and um do you use the guitar mostly to do your songwriting i do i do i'm new to trying to bring in the piano but um mm-hmm. the songwriting for me will always start with just screwing around on the guitar mm-hmm. and once I get along with like a riff or something that, that'll that be kind of the birth of it so it's gotcha. never the words or the melody first but I'll kind of hear a melody in my head mm-hmm. and then I'll kind of draw on a piece of paper how many syllables that is to match the melody and I'll try to fit it um, and then as far as the lyrics go it's like I don't really find a tone I guess if it's slower you can go with the ballad type lyrics but right. uh, just trying not to repeat myself which I tend to (laughs) you know are you pulling the content kind of from life experience or from things you observe or you're trying a little of everything um life experience definitely yeah Yeah, I I had like a writing exercise a few years ago um some demos I never really officially released where I was Mm -hmm. trying to write through other people's eyes and I found my interesting I found myself just like lost because I like writing about these you know hard subjects for other people that I wasn't experienced. So I was, you know, thinking to myself, like, this isn't my song to sing. Right. How can I? Yeah. So now I'm back to just everything you hear, you know, I am about being yelled at on a train in front of a lot of people. <laughs> like, that's that's all happened to me. Yeah. And I probably deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so also, you don't have an album out at, at, at the moment. You have three great singles on SoundCloud. Um, and talking off the air, you mentioned that you're going to continue to release singles. Is the plan to kind of put out one single after another and then build an album out of that? Or do you eventually want to put together an album as well? Uh, as long as I'm independent, I'm going to keep going the single route and, yeah. and try to get a cool video where there's lyrics or actual like music video together. Sure. Um, I just think that's the way it's going now with YouTube and Spotify and SoundCloud. It's like the single generation. Yeah, I think I think you're not wrong and I think also like because SoundCloud allows you to kind of put together playlists as you wish and kind of, you know, hear the music however you want, you know, and set a queue of songs to play. It's like that's kind of the way. And yeah, YouTube for sure. If you can get a catchy song that's mixed with a pretty eye-catching video, that's easy street to getting noticed, more yeah. or less. Um, yeah. Do you have ideas for kind of the kind of music video you'd want to shoot for one of your songs? Um, yeah, I mean, I well, the the one for I am was 
a friend of a friend who did that one, mm-hmm. and that's just a lyrics video. Right. I, I wasn't blown away by what he did with it, though, um, yeah. just because he actually made it captivating to read it. Sure, you know? of course. It, it yeah. had, like, a tone to it. It wasn't just the words scrolling. Mm-hmm. Um, but for an actual music video, for I Am, I th- I've kind of got that one done with at this yeah. point. Um, the next one I'm going to go and record is called Bed Bug, mm-hmm. and uh, I just want to keep getting artsier with it. And mm-hmm. I've, again, to... I know I'm being a dead horse here, but with 21 Pilots, like, I really appreciate how they're making things artsy. And Sia, too. Yeah. And she's making it really an art piece beyond just a singer-songwriter doing something. Um, Yeah. So something artsy, different, low budget. Yeah, sure. (laughs) That's got to be in there. Um, Well, yeah, I think a lot of modern musicians, because the music video is now a YouTube thing. It's not a TV thing anymore. And it's really like it has to get the views to get noticed. I think making it eye-catching and just kind of making it an art piece is important. Like, I think, again, it's the reason that, you know, performers like Beyonce and Lady Gaga and Katy Perry and Taylor Swift are in people's vernaculars because not only do they write these hooks that catch you, but they also, whenever they perform live, they're wearing something eye-catching. And whenever they make a music video, it's something interesting or eye-catching. Right. And I think that's important. I think that... Um, because, I mean, I spend more time watching YouTube now than I watch actual TV. Like, I'm subscribed to 50 channels. Some of them are video game related. Some of them are music related. Some of them are news related. And, like, I go to that for my media. I'm not going to a TV anymore. So I think trying to figure out a way to invest in music and videos that could catch people's eyes, I think, is definitely the wave of the future. Yeah, it's uh, YouTube's the new MTV, for sure. Pretty much. For sure. The only thing about that is now... You know, with the internet, it's so decentralized, the yeah. music, that there's 18 billion songs up on there. I, and, you know, to get yours across to people who might like it is seemingly impossible if you don't have a huge budget or the right contacts, you know? Right. Or get lucky with a celebrity retweeting it or something like that. Sure. Yeah. yeah I think independence, that's why I think the independent community is pretty strong, because people know that if they don't lean on each other, like, it's not, you're not going to go anywhere. And yeah. I, I highly recommend that if you've not looked into the independent community in New York that much, or if you've not looked at, although it sounds like you've done a ton of research, but I think keep continuing to pursue that is important. You know, I found that the best way to get your stuff out there is to just rely on someone who also is trying to get something out there, you know, to tr- try and team up with somebody. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I'm in the process of that right now, actually, working with a friend of mine, Annie, and her friend John, and we're trying to put a show together oh, in Williamsburg. Awesome. So, and these are people I met at playing shows. Um, the guy that I recorded with I had, was a friend of someone I met at an open mic. So, yeah, I always try to stay around and socialize with people because I realize, I mean, you can go in there and be Adele and just, you know, kill it. But if you run out of the room, it doesn't matter how good you are. You they, need to they won't remember beyond that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I actually, since you've heard of the Waystation, I recommend reaching out to them. They have a booking agent there. Um, They do lots of local acts. I've seen pop performers perform there and kill it, and I think it would be a good space. It's a warm space. A lot of people, unless unless you're lewd or rude or insulting people, Um, it's a pretty warm room, you know, nobody boos, nobody hisses, like it's, you know, at, at its worst, it's a bar, and so people just continue to drink and talk, but, but people are pretty open to the music there. Okay. And so I highly recommend it personally. That's always good. I've had many, many uncomfortable gigs. Really? (laughs) In my life, yeah. Is there any, any one you would want to share in particular? Oh my God. Well, I, I booked my own band's tour when we were in Thailand. Mm-hmm. Um, we did like five shows on that tour, like just like a week trip. Um, one of them was at this club, though, in Khon Ken, which is like way out there. And uh, 
Nobody spoke English at it. Nobody knew what songs we were playing. We were doing mostly originals. <laughs> it was just like <laughs> absolutely dead silent. Like this room packed full of people, just dead silent um, oh, no. after every song. And like I feel like the heat on my forehead, you know. Or uh, God, I've, I've had so many. A lot of them are sound mishaps. Oh sure, which I'm sure is never fun. No, guitar gets screwed up at some point, microphone, whatever, and then everyone's looking at you like you're a fool. And, right. Yeah, those are embarrassing. But you keep, I keep coming back after those. I don't know why. Well, it's because I guess it's in your blood. I mean, I, it, I, I think it's similar to I've heard a lot of comedians talk about bombing being as important as being successful as a comedian because bombing teaches you how to fail and teaches and it tests whether you want to go back to it or not. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it what it tests uh, that I need applause to feel good about myself or what. <laughs> well, uh, 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 someone, a uh, podcaster named Kevin Pollack, who's a comedian who I like, always calls it "Hey, look at me" disease. This need for people to look at you and like yep. acknowledge. You and um, you know, I mean, it's why I would talk for an hour on a microphone and think people want to hear me yap at at artists and musicians. Um, uh, besides playing and writing music, do you find that you have time to do anything else than downtime stuff? I know you said you're a teacher before, but do you have yeah. any like hobbies that you prefer to do that aren't music related? Uh, well, I have a full time job, yeah. So between that and music, that fills up my week yeah. fully. Um, on the weekends, I'll be rehearsing, playing shows maybe. If it's a free weekend, God, I don't know, relaxing. Yeah. I, I want to say traveling, but that's not so easy to do here. It's really expensive in America, so sure. I don't really do that much. Um, I'm new to New York, so exploring new places. I'm new to Brooklyn especially, so. Um, I highly recommend um, the Transit Museum on Atlantic Avenue and the um, the Brooklyn Museum, which is uh, near Washington Heights. Oh, okay. Both, both are really awesome and both have some really cool stuff just sightseeing-wise. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, I finally did Coney Island over the summer. Oh, nice. What did you think of Coney Island? It was good. It was good. Uh, they had fireworks, which was cool. Nice. I ate raw oysters and got sick. Oh, no. Yeah, but that's, that's... the classic Coney Island experience. Right, right? exactly. Exactly, getting sick on food that's not prepared right <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what made you want to come to New York and Brooklyn specifically? Because you said that you, you're from Illinois mm-hmm. and um, and you were in Thailand. What made you, like, is it just because it's New York and you figured that's the place to go? Or was there something specific that brought you here? Uh, my sister lived here mm-hmm. at the time I was thinking about transitioning. So I was in Chicago um, and I was emailing jobs and people I knew both in L.A. and New York. Um, and then I just decided, you know, my sister's was here already, so if I can sleep on her couch and do a few interviews and play some open mics and just get a feel for it. And I ended up liking it enough to stay. Mm-hmm. Apparently, I, I still haven't given L.A. a chance. Maybe I would like that more. I have no idea. Right. Um, but I do like the big city vibe of, of New York and the hustle of it. Sure. Um, yeah, so really, though, it was kind of out of convenience and also wanting something new. Sure. Yeah. Um, is you, you say your sister used to be here. Is she not living in nah, New York anymore? No, she moved now, but she, she did a good five years here. Oh, wow. Up in uh, Manhattan. Um, and that's where I was staying for a while, and then I had a little place on the Upper West Side. Um, and then finally, once I've settled now, I, a few months ago I moved, and I was like, Brooklyn, for sure. So Awesome. Um, what kind of venues have you found yourself playing now that you're in New York? Have you been playing any live shows while you're here? Yeah, yeah. I've been when I first got here, I didn't know anybody, so I was doing all open mics. And yeah. then once I got kind of like word of mouth from people, I was able to find out. You know, I got shows from friends I met at open mics. I, I could uh, get suggestions on venues like you've mm-hmm. given me today. Sure. Um, one play. I just played the other night at Bushwick Public House. Oh, nice. A little coffee shop. You've yeah, been I've there? heard of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's cool. It's a cool vibe. And I, I played there. Um, a few months ago, too, was an event called Unite the Vibe. 
Um, these are all stuff I just see on New York City do-it-yourself music. That's a Facebook group. Sure. Craigslist, some of them. Um, those ones are usually scams, though. Yeah, that's a, the unfortunate goes. truth. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, there's always like a 10% chance you'll get murdered going <laughs> to the show, which is fun. It makes it exciting. Right, of course. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that, that extra excitement, so, yeah. you know. Um, God, I've been, yeah, a lot more uh, Brooklyn now, a lot more than Manhattan. I find the Manhattan gigs to be kind of boring. They're mm-hmm. typically in a bar setting. Yeah. And people don't really want to come and listen to music. Right. Brooklyn's has been generally a lot warmer reception and staying after at, like the show and socializing with people everyone's yeah. been way cooler here and, and more my age and more into the kind of music I'm doing. Oh, awesome. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I would say that the Waystation definitely fits that descriptor. Also, the one place in Manhattan I recommend if you've never been is the Sidewalk Cafe. Yeah, I keep getting that suggestion, but people say, like, the open mic, you don't go on until, like, 2 a.m. Yeah, it's a little rough, but yeah. it, but if they like you, they'll bring you back. Um, my wife's band, the Waystation, used to play there a bunch, as well as um, a, a band, friends of bands, as well, like Painless Parker. And um, um, it was mostly a lot of folk acts that I saw there, but they booked pop acts and comedy bands there too and so yeah i think it's definitely worth worth checking out okay all right yeah well for the open mic or for like a i mean either show? or i mean yeah. if you have to start at the open mic you that might be the way in yeah, okay that's that's what i how i understand it but i could be wrong because again i'm not a musician see, i don't see how that works they always say like oh it might be your way in but i've never seen anybody who works at an open mic like <laughs> at the actual venue ever talk to anyone who's ever performed sure of course they hide in the back you know yeah sure <laughs> yeah um Actually, let's talk a little bit about your live show. So being an artist that has um, a lot of, you know, electronic stuff on their music as well as live instruments. Yeah. When you play live, is it more of an acoustic thing or do you use pre-recorded tracks? I have one pre-recorded track uh, for the I Am song, Mm -hmm. which I usually close with. Um, and it's got everything that we made in the studio mixed and mastered, got it. but it minus the guitar and vocal so I could play with it. Oh, cool. And I think that comes out pretty good. Um, besides that, I am just sticking with acoustic right now because I don't have the tracks laid out. Sure. But as far as anything in the future being recorded, it's going to be along the lines of I am with the, all the, you know, samples in the background and all the, there's like a whole soundscape behind it. And they're like sure. 90 tracks when we were done. It was, it was oh, wow, really exciting. Awesome. Yeah. It's all kind of blended in there. Um, but for live, I've just been just me and the guitar out of convenience and sure, not having the money to have those down. But, you know, that, that and that's one thing that's hard about playing the bar scene is when you have an acoustic guitar, you know, and I mean, especially in Manhattan, you come in and everyone's like, oh, here's another douche with you know, a guitar. <laughs> and, <laughs> and everyone's immediately against me. And I get sure. it. You know, I'd, I'd probably be annoyed if I on a date with someone and some jackass is playing like right like right next to my ear, you know? Sure. <laughs> so I get it. I get why people hate me right off the bat, but it's hard to get above that noise level, you know? Sure, of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's hard to win people over if they've already written you off before you've started sometimes. <laughs> That's New York, though, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. It feels like it sometimes. Um, talking about stuff that you want to do in the future and how you want to continue to pursue the singles that you're going to make, is there any kind of subject matter that you've been wanting to cover lyrically that or narrative-wise that you have not that has kind of been in like the back of your brain that you've wanted to work on, or are you kind of taking it as it comes? Um, the inspiration for the lyrics and the subject matter come just kind of as I'm writing, mm-hmm. but I do want to get into just more, uh, just more truth and, and not finding 
a lot of the, a lot of the times when I was writing in the past, I was finding things that would just fit the syllables, mm-hmm. um, and then you know listening back, realize I don't relate to it, and you know I had an opportunity to say something and I missed it. Right. Um, I am I think was a bit closer to what I wanted to be, but I still feel like I can add more emotion without being too depressing, you know. Sure. But, but actual real life experiences into the music. Um, I, I think that's the route I want to go more of a storytelling. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes more sense. I think it's why people get drawn in. I mean, you take Taylor Swift, who we were just talking about, besides those hooks, those songs are written to be emotional and, and relatable. And I mm-hmm. think relatability is important. And I don't think this this bullshit that you have to sell yourself out to be relatable is not true. I mean, you, you look at 21 Pilots, who we I might as well start a fan club at this point because we've been talking <laughs> about them so much. But if you look at their stuff, a song like Stressed Out everyone can relate to. Everyone can relate to growing up and having bills and not feeling like a kid anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about, you know, we're recording, so uh, for the audience listening, this happened four weeks ago, breaking the magic wall. Um, But as we're recording, the election just happened. And just think about, all I could think about besides being upset about how the election went was, and teach their own on how you voted, just being upset with everything. As a kid, I would have looked at it and go, oh, well, what's going on? I don't understand. Why is everybody so upset? Like, you have that innocence yeah. that you can't capture anymore as an adult. It just doesn't exist, mm-hmm. you know, because you're so aware of everything. Yeah. And I think that 21 Pilots kind of captured in that song this idea of wanting to go back to that innocence, even though you can't. Yeah, yeah. That, I, relatability has got to be number one. Um you always want to write from personal experience, but if it gets a little too personal or too specific in the yeah. lyrics, then you're kind of courting yourself off and not letting people in. Yeah. So you kind of got to walk that line of making it general enough, um, like stressed out, and uh, that has these specific lyrics about, you know, uh, selling the candle that smells yeah. like, yeah, your youth or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's specific, but it's relatable because not right. mentioning names or anything like that. Sure. Um, so I, I definitely want to go down that route too. That's one reason I fell in love with like Bruce Springsteen when I was a kid, who I still mm-hmm. love. Um, just these lyrics that you can turn on, and you're like, ah, I'm not alone in this feeling, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, we talked a little bit about the bands that like you came up listening to and that really influenced you, Blink-182 being the big one. Um, is there any specific vocalist that you would credit the way you sing to? Like, uh, you mentioned Bruce Springsteen. Would you say that there are any specific vocalists who have influenced how you sing? Um, not really. I think the way I sang came about from where my range was and, and what I was able to do, which is very limited. Mm-hmm. So I use the, uh, the capo a lot when I play guitar because it's like, I got to find that little key I can fit in or else it's going to be horrible, you know? <laughs> so I'm trying to, I'm always trying to find that. Um, as far as delivery, lyric writing and singing style, like I always loved Jesse Lacey, brand mm-hmm. new. Sure. Um, Blink, I guess, for when I was doing electric stuff because I had a harsher little angsty tone to it. Sure. But now I'm looking up to like uh, top 40 stuff where they really have control over their voice so they're getting the message across yet still staying in that range and they're not straying too far and they're not... I like any singer that has its own personality. Sure. And, you, know, you can tell it's them right when it comes on, but it's also not like 
so wildly out of tone that it turns you off to the song. Sure. Yeah. I think 21 Pilots has that too. You know, they're yeah, you the know vocalists. You know it's him as soon mm-hmm. as he starts singing, but also he's not always in key, and sometimes he does wail, and I think it's for effect, and, and it, it, it conveys emotion in an interesting way. And I've, that's what I've always loved about Blink. I mean, Tom DeLonge is not a good singer. Not at all. <laughs> he's never been. Yeah. But that whine, like, if you just, like, um, what was I used to do? I would, oh, whenever I, I would want to know where a friend of mine was, I would, like, call him, and I'd be like, where are you? You know, from, like, I miss you, because that yeah. that voice, the way that resonates, and that's the last time I'll sing on this podcast, but that, that <laughs> voice, the way Tom's voice always resonated, you know, you knew it was him, yeah. always. He was unmistakable. Right, you look back and, and you see, like, Tom DeLonge's a good example, Bob Dylan. Sure. Even some Springsteen, where he's, like, so gravelly and, and so low, it, it almost sounds a little strange at times, yeah. but you listen back to the songs and you wouldn't want anybody else singing that song, because... It's coming from their voice, literally. Um, yeah. Gwen Stefani's another example. Mm-hmm. A little strange, especially on the first albums, if you listen to it. Yeah. And uh, But you, you wouldn't want anybody else singing those songs, especially not a perfect pop singer. Because right. Because the, the emotion and the character to it would be gone. Yeah, I mean, a song like Don't Speak from No Doubt's second album... Tragic Kingdom, like, that song is so specifically her and her voice, and if anyone covered that song, like, and I can't think of someone who's covered that song, although I'm sure live acts have, but, like, I can't imagine another voice on that song, because it's such a personal song, and it's so much her voice. Right. Whereas there are, there are some songs, like, like uh, what's his name? Brian Adams covered all of Taylor Swift's yeah, new album. That. I didn't listen to it. And so I've listened to some of it, yeah. and, like, yeah, I mean, the reality is, even though the hooks are tight, and she's a really great singer... Listening to Brian Adams' version, though he changed it a bit and made it more folky, like mm-hmm. I was like, it still fits, it still works, and it's, uh, yeah. it shows the versatility of the songwriting, but it also shows how kind of sometimes the vocals are less impactful than the content of the actual song. Yeah, you know, and that 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 you could put someone else's vocals on it and it still sounds good, which I guess is a good thing in the long run for versatility, but it does lose a little bit of originality. I feel like. Well, it does. When you see somebody playing a song you love, who you know is doing a cover, you can tell that they're reading a book and they're not writing it. You know, yeah. it isn't something that they can close their eyes and transcend. Like, okay, how was I feeling when I wrote this? Right. It's something that they're clearly like, okay, uh, how does this start again? Because it, it isn't from their head. They may relate to it, but right. it still didn't come from them. I find that the strongest cover bands or bands who do covers are the ones who take a cover and make it their own. Change a little bit of the instrumentation yes. or change up the arrangement or speed up or slow things down. Like my wife's band, The Wasties, they do a great cover of Safety Dance, but mm-hmm. they preamble it with saying this is one of the most traditional songs we ever play, and it starts with the mandolinist playing the main chord, and so in the for the first, like, five or ten seconds nobody knows what the song is. But then as soon as the, the vocalist Noam si- starts singing the words, you can watch people's expressions change, which is really cool yeah. because they know it's a cover, but they also know it's not going to be a standard version of the safety dance. It's going to be something different, something more fun, something original. Yeah, you know, and I think that's important if you're going to cover something or do something that's been done before. Making it your own is really important. Did uh, Brian Adams deliver on that or no? I don't know. I feel like, I think it, to me, it felt like it was a lark. He was doing it because he could. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, Brian Adams does have a distinct voice. He's a, you know, he's a very well-known singer-songwriter. But I just, I feel like the Taylor Swift version was honestly better. Hmm. Because 
Taylor Swift is giving a delivery at least that is sincere because it's her it's her music. Even if she didn't write all the songs, it's her music. She's delivering it, whereas Brian Adams is covering it and not necessarily completely making it it's his own. It's clear he's going, hey, I'm doing a thing. Check out the thing I'm doing. And it yeah. feels a little disingenuous. Well, let's ask the uh, podcast people. Make a vote. What's the, What's your favorite cover? Right. I'd be curious to see what people say. Yeah. Um, it, what, your favorite cover and who is it by? Do you have a favorite cover? Um, I'm trying to think. I know Springsteen in his live performances is notorious for doing a lot of covers. Sure. Um, and he always kills it because, you know, he's the boss and everybody loves him. But, sure. But uh, they never have the same impact as when you're hearing it from the band. Yeah. Like we were just saying. Um, I mean, for me, I think one of my favorite covers, I mean, it's tough. I really like it when bands change it up. But there's this really great cover. There was a contestant on one of those reality singing shows. I don't remember what. It was probably American Idol. But it's this guy with long hair. He's blonde. He has this like kind of metal voice. And it's his cover of um, um, Like a Prayer. But he's singing the vocal. It's got heavy guitar, and the vocals are kind of like this deep, resonating voice. And it's really interesting. And it kind of gives the song a whole new perspective, and I really like it. Yeah. You know, there's also a band called Him. They have a pretty famous cover of Blue Oyster Cult's um, Don't Fear the Reaper. But they slow it down to half the speed, and the singer drones out the lyrics. And so it gives it this kind of haunting vibe that the original song alluded to, because it's essentially about suicide, and it's Mm -hmm. about death. But this version made it really feel like it was about that, which I think is interesting. Yeah, I saw uh, Gaslight Anthem, and mm. opening up was the Bouncing Souls, and they did a cover of Misfits, uh, I think it was Hybrid Moments. Sure. And, yeah, they slowed it down completely so the drum beat was, it wasn't, like, punk anymore. Yeah. It was a really interesting way to hear the song, because they're doing, like, a trilogy where all three bands that night were doing a Misfits cover. Oh, cool. But they all played it exactly from the record. 100% oh, wow. in every way. And they, the Bouncing Souls were the only ones who made it different, and that's what made me enjoy the song more, rather than just hearing them do an okay cover, you know? Yeah. I, uh, speaking of Misfits, one of my favorite covers that Metallica ever did on Garage Inc. was their cover of Die My Darling, which is faster and heavier and louder and more aggressive, which is surprising, considering the Misfits version also was loud and fast and aggressive and so yeah I don't know I think that you know uh, covers have this unique place because I also I I respect artists who do a tribute to a band like if you're going to cover a Queen song you're never going to sing like Freddie Mercury so you don't even try you just you sing your own way but the instrumentation is so tight in most Queen songs it's like to change it would be Strange, I feel like, you know, because they're just so well-known. A Beatles song, too. I mean, think about someone covering a Beatles song. Would you really want them to change the arrangement? I mean, those arrangements for a lot of those songs are so spot-on and perfect. Yeah, well, uh, they did that at the Kennedy Honors, didn't they? Yeah. No no doubt did. uh, What song did they do? Oh, I don't remember. But they made it like a little ska Mm -hmm. rhythm, and I thought it was cool. Yeah. Wasn't Paul McCartney there? Oh, yeah, I believe he he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did he complain against them? I don't Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. do you have so I'm I'm curious because you're talking a lot of bands that uh, we were talking about before that either have been around a while or have been heavy influences and we were talking about how Blink wasn't you we, you kind of expected something different. Do you find that there the artists that have been around a long time putting album after album out, do you find that often they disappoint you because either they're stagnating or they're not doing something that you enjoy or have you been able to kind of evolve with bands as they change? Uh depends on the band. Yeah. Some of them yeah, some of them evolve in a bad way. Yeah. We have a ton of examples of that. Um, Uno Dos Trey, like we were talking about yeah. earlier, is a good example. And then you get some that, like the new Blink album, where 
they're trying to reproduce what they did. Weezer's a good example of that too. Yeah. And they're trying to make Pinkerton again. And yeah. It's not working over and over, and they're and they're re, you know releasing these albums where I don't know, it just it doesn't feel real. People people aren't connecting to it, and that's the ultimate sign that it isn't successful. Yeah. Um, but then you have like uh, Springsteen, who's been yeah. doing it for over forty years or so, and. Yeah, even like to his newest stuff now, I I genuinely enjoy where he's taking it and the little arrangements they do in the background and what they're adding to it. Um, I think he's actually evolved in a good way. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I actually would highly recommend that you check out more of the new Taking Back Sunday album, Tidal Wave. Right. I think you'll dig it. I think because their old singer returned from the first first two albums and that, um, you know, Adam's still got it. He still sings the same way. His voice really hasn't changed. He's doing some different things with it. But I feel like the instrumentation was probably the most interesting it's been in a while. It's not just heavy, fast song after heavy, fast song. They did some interesting stuff okay. with the arrangement. Yeah, so Happiness Is, which was the one before, they, yeah. they did some interesting stuff on there, too too actually yeah that one uh, definitely got it grew on me for a while yeah um i mean it's funny uh, you talking about taking back sunday a little bit like a lot of people got into them with their first record and that's everyone's favorite you know whereas for me i got into them with louder now like uh, make damn sure was the first song i ever heard by them that i was aware it was them and so i and i loved that record like all of my favorite tracks are on that record and then i went back and listened to the other two albums and i like them but i've always liked their later stuff because i like that kind of evolution of the band yeah because they were a little more you know, uh, punkier and kind of uh, more garage and raw in the early albums, which is fine. But I liked how they kind of got polished as they went on. Yeah, that happens with a lot of bands, though, like Green Day uh, with uh, Dookie. Yeah. And they're like, oh, wait, there was stuff before this. Yeah, yeah, Springsteen, Born to Run. Sure. Blink-182, Enema of the State. Like, yeah. The list goes on. And then at Jimmy World, uh, that's the first time I heard them was Bleed American. Of course, yeah. Like, well, minute, the middle like, was so huge yeah. that you couldn't not have heard of them. Yeah, and you've been... I, actually, I was just seeing this really funny video of Blink. It was on the, like, 98 tour. Uh-huh. So their biggest single to date was Damn It. And they were played, like, a little intro before Damn It, basically saying, like... You know, like, fuck you if this is the only song you know us by. We've been around for, like, six years. And then it, and then it goes into Damn It. And yeah. I thought that was so funny. Like, yeah, because like, that's yeah. so true. You're like, hey, guys, we've been touring for seven years. You just heard our one single on, you know, like, some late-night talk show or something. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like that happens a lot with some bands. I mean, it's. I feel like it's less now, but I'm not sure. Like, I'm a guy who still likes to listen to full albums mm-hmm. from start to finish. But because we live in this culture with Spotify and iTunes and all of this, you can piecemeal anything. And so I feel like the album arc and like the construction of an album might be less important. I don't know. It's tough. Yeah, like, no, I, I 100% agree. Um, like you're talking about how you want to release single after single, especially yeah. while you're independent, which makes perfect sense because then you go, hey, guys, here's a thing. And they digest that thing. And then, you know, a couple months later, you have another. Whereas working on an album could take a year, it could take six months, it could take a lot longer. Yeah. And it's le- you're less kind of going, hey, look at me, you know. Whereas with singles, you can kind of throw stuff out as they come. Yeah, it's too much when you're an indie band with, you know, little to no following and you're releasing 12 songs. It's like yeah. you really want, I mean, it's hard enough to have one song that, people aren't listening to do you want 12 out there that people aren't listening to it's sure. like, why are you gonna waste all your band's budget on making an album sure. uh, I, I really do think it's a lot less important um, unless you're signed on a label then you actually have the time yeah. to produce something like that and then you're gonna tour so you actually have a set list and you have yeah. something like that but when you're just totally in control like i am 100 percent creative it's all my money i can do whatever i want yeah i just want concentrate on one three and a half minute song yeah do a cool video that's it yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't feel the need to have a whole 
album out. I, I have plenty to record, but but yeah. why? Yeah. yeah. Do you find that, um, so we were talking about songwriting before, do you have, and you kind of have an idea of what you want to write and what you want to do. Um, do you have any stuff written and finished for these singles that are coming out, or are you kind of taking it one song at a time and not planning that far ahead? No, I got a bunch written yeah. and finished. So the one I'm going to do next is called Bedbug, and that one's totally in the bag. Yeah. Um, just kind of working on my computer right now to kind of get the arrangement. So when yeah. I'm in the studio, I'm not wasting time. You know, that's any bands listening who are coming up, that's a mistake a lot of bands make because yeah. they're trying to write in the studio. Don't yeah. ever do that because you're, <laughs> you're usually paying by the hour, man. Go in and just hammer it out as quick as possible. But yeah, that one's totally wrapped. I already have ideas for the video too. Cool. Um, yeah, I want to take it just a little step further and, and try to make it more of an art piece and yeah. try to make it more thought-provoking without going weird because I've seen like some Lady Gaga stuff where it's yeah. like now she's just trying too hard it's like being at like yeah. you know you go to like one of those art places in like Bushwick or something and yeah. you don't get any of the art but you try to nod your head so you fit in with the other people <laughs> yeah <laughs> I've been there before um and so uh do you have a release date for Bedbug or I'm gonna be in the studio in December to record it I still yeah. gotta confirm that with my buddy Raphael who's an incredible engineer here uh-huh um and then, yeah, soon, maybe January. Cool. It's, right. You know what? You're right. I should have a deadline. I'm going to say January 5th. All right. Well, then we'll check that out for January 5th, and we'll link back to it once this is out, which <laughs> this because this will be out way before that. Um, well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Um, where can people find you on the internet? Um, where's the best place to find your stuff? Definitely SoundCloud and YouTube. Um, if you go on SoundCloud, type in you know, soundcloud.com slash Jeff Baker Sounds. Mm-hmm. My Twitter's Jeff Baker Sounds. Um, I do Periscope all the time mm-hmm. of just live performances in my bedroom, basically uh, playing some new originals and working stuff out, sometimes previewing some demos on my computer and, and some cool songwriting stuff. So you can check me out on Periscope and YouTube. There's no like slash link for YouTube, is there? There, You can make one, but it's a pain in the ass. I don't really have one for my DJ page or for my... No, yeah. It's just because you have to do something extra for it, and then it's, yeah, it's a pain in the ass. So. Yeah, so if you look up Jeff Baker I Am, you'll see the video. Um, and you'll find a bunch of other Jeff Bakers, too, which is really depressing. <laughs> and it, makes you, it makes you realize it really puts you in your place when you look up your own name on Google. Uh-huh. Like, oh, I don't exist, do I? Yeah, like, <laughs> there are so many other people. What, what happened? <laughs> that was the worst, man. There was a Jeff Baker on uh, the Cubs when I was growing up. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, that was the yeah. first time I realized I wasn't important. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. As a kid, I always thought Storm was an original last name. Yeah. But then as I got older, like, there are so many Storms, and, and, and a friend of mine recently was like, oh, I met this person, so-and-so Storm. Are they related to you? I was like, nope. I'm like, but this is the same last name. I was like, yep. There's more than one. There's there? more than one. Well, well yeah, I got to be like Cher. I just right? got to consolidate to one. You should name. just, like, you should spell your uh, name Jeff, but as an unpronounceable symbol, so you'll be original. You know, <laughs> that way, you know, yeah. people always know it's you. A symbol from the period periodic table exactly there you go all right well jeff this was a pleasure i'm really looking forward to seeing more of your stuff thanks for coming on the show thanks Um, for having me the last thing i would ask is we have a saying on the show which is music is life and life is good if you could just sign us off with that saying i would appreciate it all right it's jeff baker uh music is life and life is good if you enjoyed these interviews please subscribe to this and the crash chords podcast on itunes where you can also rate us and review us you can also like us on facebook follow us on twitter at crash chords web our tumblr and our youtube channel if you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good.